Wednesday, November 21st, 2018. This is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. Back after uh, a significant break, about four or five weeks took off since episode 119. Uh, was still able to get interviews done, uh, but as I went into production mode trying to edit and produce the shows, uh, things were just popping up. Our, our, our digital media engagement team has been very busy uh, in the month of November for Veterans Month. We had uh, people all over the place producing content and uh, and covering events, covering Veterans Day. Uh, it has been a busy past four or five weeks. So I have I have a handful of interviews to catch up on, which I intend to do in the next uh, in the next two or three weeks here. So we'll uh, we'll have an episode today, and then we'll have an episode Friday, and the next week probably a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, and we'll see where that's where we sit there. But um, looking forward to the to the future on the podcast. Even though I wasn't able to produce any content, I was thinking a lot about the future of the podcast. Uh, people we can get on the show, ways that we can provide a uh, visual component, um, ways we can add maybe different uh, types of episodes to the to the podcast. So uh, a lot of cool things coming down the pipe from VA as far as the podcast, Born the Battle and other uh, other endeavors are concerned. So November is also uh, National Caregivers Month, uh, something that um, gets sort of paired with uh, Veterans Month, which I think is very appropriate because uh, caregivers are such a crucial part of the veteran community for those that, uh, that, that need that sort of care. Um, so today and Friday we'll be we'll be featuring caregivers. Uh, so today Elizabeth Rotenberry, uh, Liz is with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. She's the Fellows Programs Coordinator, and she's a Dole Caregiver Fellow alumna. She's a military caregiver for her husband, who is a Marine Corps wounded warrior of Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom. Um, she works to advocate not only for herself and her family, but also the vet- veteran and military ca- caregivers in our community. Um, she's been with them for, uh, she's been with the uh, Elizabeth Dole Foundation for a while now. And we had a very uh, just open and honest conversation about, I say we, like I did much. I was just ask- asking questions. Uh, Liz was very open and honest about caring for her husband and tra- transitioning out of the military and what that did for her. So this is a really interesting perspective um, at, from someone who is a former military spouse, a current veteran, a, car- a current caregiver uh, for for a veteran um, and has a really interesting uh, perspective and really important insight on both of those. So um, I think that you're going to get a lot out of this. I do appreciate you listening. So Liz Rotenberry with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. Enjoy. I served in Vietnam. I served in World War II. I served in Afghanistan. And VA serves us all. No matter when you served. No matter if you saw combat or not. There are benefits for veterans of every generation. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. Hit and record. Elizabeth Rodenberry. Yes. Yes, with the uh, Elizabeth Dole Foundation. Um, you are your husband's caregiver, yes. um, which was, um, which is the, um, the main, 
the, it was the main draw on having you on here. The Elizabeth Dole Foundation uh, wanted was interested in being on the podcast, and um, typically I, I, I reserve um, guest spots for, for veterans, but um, whenever there's an important topic to be discussed, um, I will stray away from that. And um, caregivers is... Caregivers are a segment of the veteran community that we haven't addressed too much um, in a lot of our communications, especially here on the podcast. So uh, I'm excited to talk to you about that experience, um, as well as what you're doing with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. Usually these interviews start with the veteran telling me about why they joined the military, um, Mm -hmm. their transition, stuff like that. For you, I'm going to ask, um, I want to know about what your military experience was as a mill spouse. Mm-hmm. So let's start with um, meeting your, was your husband in the Marine Corps when, when you met him? No, actually we met in high school. Um, high school yes, sweethearts. Yes, high school huh? sweethearts. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> we did meet in high school um, and I, I actually had to beg him to go out with me, which I was fortunate he did because we managed to stay together throughout our college, our college years um, in which his second year of college he decided to join the Marine Corps um, and I decided to stay in school we knew we were eventually going to get married and reconnect wherever he was going to be stationed once he was done with boot camp um, and so he did go to Paris Island and that was in December of 1999 um, and you know he loved it right off the bat and I knew he was going to be Marine for life, yeah. um, and I was ready to join him with that with that effort. It, it was an exciting life, and I was really proud of him for it. Um, so, how how long was he in the Marine Corps then? So he was in for twelve years active duty, and then he did two two years reserve after okay. um, after his injury. So okay. about fourteen years total. So when you um, when you two got married mm-hmm. and you joined him at that first duty station, what was an element to military life that maybe surprised you for, the, for, for good or for bad? Honestly, I was just excited about it. It just the whole idea of being able to um, move. I, we loved moving. I mean, we did a lot of it. Um, but, you know, his role in it, too, he was canine. Right. Uh, I loved watching him work with dogs and watching dogs work is just fascinating in itself. Um, so it was just the whole idea. And, and once you become friends, once you meet people on base, they're lifelong friends and family. And I loved that. You know, I didn't always have the closest friends growing up. And so to have that support sure. was unbelievable. Um, it, it just made me feel like I was at home. Yeah. You know, when it, whenever I talk to veterans and, you know, you, you ask 100 veterans what they miss the most about the military mm-hmm. and 99 of them will say camaraderie mm-hmm. and the other one didn't understand the question, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's that consistent. Um, what's it like on your side? You mentioned you love the community. Did you also, um, uh, have you felt a, a, a void of that community since, um, since no longer, since your husband left the military? Yes, absolutely. Um, my husband, after he was injured, which was in uh, 2011, it was early 2011, and after uh, about 2012 was when we technically were not active duty anymore, and we moved off base. And I'll never forget because he had moved up ahead of me to start a new job, and I had to, you know, clean the house and get it ready for inspection with the base housing. Um, and I, I felt this real, you know, gr- grief. It's almost like a loss um, in my life that 
what were we going to do now? I've only ever known myself as his support, as his military spouse. What am I now? Um, and it was it was it was very difficult, especially because he didn't medically retire. Mm. Um, we are working on trying to understand, you know, retroactively maybe have that taken care of uh, because he really should have. But at the time, it was the height of the Marine Corps downsizing. He was injured. Um, I think he saw himself with his injuries starting to not do well. And when he told me he wanted out six months after his injury, I knew there was something wrong. And so um, you know, red flags were going off and, and it just I couldn't process. You know, in my mind, we were set for 20 plus years. Um, my kids loved it. We loved it. It's a great life. Yeah. Um, and so it was very difficult. I, I went through about a year for that transition, a year and a half of probably d- depression, a um, little bit of anger, resentment that he was doing this. I couldn't yeah. understand why. And financially, it was it took a toll. Sure. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, one thing they harp on so much when, when, especially when, uh, when military service members are looking to get out at, after their four year, after their eight year mark. And, um, you know, they, they remind that like, look, I, I know your annual salary doesn't look like it compares well, but if you think of everything you're getting out of the United States government right now on housing mm-hmm. and food and every, you know, free healthcare, mm-hmm. you are so far ahead of people that are making the same annual salary on the, in, in the private sector. And, um, you know, some, you know, it takes people a while. It, it, you know, a lot of it's one of the issues with transition that a lot of veterans have is they're not they don't know how to adjust for that because right. yeah um, yeah it was very difficult. We even have four children, and so just to to manage everything that they were now going to go through because it doesn't it's not just him getting out of the military. It affects the whole family. And, you know, I remember the transition assistance program that he had to go through for two weeks at the end of the Marine Corps life, as you may recall. I was, I said to my husband, if you go, I should be going with you as your spouse. And I was probably the only wife in there with 350 Uh, Marines that were getting out. And I understand things have changed and they now have a STARS program through through just the Marine Corps that I know of for the spouses getting out. But they needed that. Um, I needed that. I needed to understand what was happening. Yeah. And I mean, did you, um, so what year would that have been? You said- uh, That was 2012. 2012, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a year after I got out. what did what was your feel? What what station were you at? Camp Lejeune. So what, 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 Camp Lejeune. <laughs> that's right. All the diehards out there nodding their head. I like, know Camp yes, Lejeune. Yes. Um, what what were you, what were your takeaways from? Did you find it effective? Did you feel like as a as a as a transitioning family that you were better prepared after taking that class? Um, for so, for some of the key component, components that they talked about. Um, you know, they talked about the VA and how to enroll in the VA and going through all of that. And that was important because I could help my husband go through that and get the, you know, the claims process started. Uh, but some of the other stuff at the time wasn't really relevant to what he was going to be doing. Um, fortunately, he did have a job opportunity that he was able to focus on. Um, but some of the other classes, you know, were kind of preparing you for how to get a job, how to write a resume, how to do things. So, you know, I, I tried to take away from the classes that we could, but it's still, I mean, we were young still, you know, just trying to understand life and right. how are we going to be able to make this work? Have you, do you understand life? 
No? no you, okay. Still, <laughs> I was still like, learning. I was like, when, when did you understand life? And t- can you tell still us learning. that secret? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I just turned, I just turned 33, um, this, this oh, year. So young. I know. Um, <laughs> but it was funny. It, um, there's, there's, I can't remember who sings it. There's that country song. Um, uh, but she says, uh, when, thir- when I remember, I remember when 30 was old or something mm-hmm. like that. I can't remember the exact yes. line, but in, in my thirties, I, I hear that line in my head all the time mm-hmm. of like realizing like I am still pretty young, yes. but I do remember when I thought 30 was so old, right? Like yeah. you're practically <laughs> halfway to, you're practically dying, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, um, how many stations did you guys, uh, yeah, 12 years, two in the reserves, like how, how many, that's a lot of moving. It was a lot of moving. Um, and it's a lot of moving on the family and the kids because, you know, as, as it is in active duty life, you can move to another, you can PCS, but when you get there, sometimes you have to stay in other housing outside in town and wait until you can get on base. So that's essentially two moves for every state, pretty much for us. This is always how it went. Um, gosh, we were... We were in Georgia, Texas, Arizona, North Carolina, Virginia, and now in Maryland. Now, so, now in Maryland, so and we moved two times, pretty much every every place we lived. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Did you? Um, how did the transition impact your your? How old were your kids when that was happening? So our oldest probably faced the most impact. Um, okay. When we finally settled in Maryland. Um, he was going into his fifth grade and had already been in six schools. Oh, wow. And uh, was getting ready to go into his. And he only spent one year in that fifth grade and then moved into middle school. So he's been in seven schools up to sixth grade, which was a lot on him. Uh, we also have twin girls um, who, we, well, I should say he's 14 now. He's a freshman in high school. And we have twin girls who are both 11 and sixth grade. And then we have a first grader. Okay. So just when we think we're through it, we're starting over again. <laughs> but um, no, the, the three oldest have really um, taken on the most responsibility in the home. And they've been brought up in a life that's very different than civilian children. Um, and this is a topic that's very passionate to me because, um, <clears throat> you know, what the military children face on a daily basis, not only just surviving active duty life or reserve life or, you know, just military life in general, it's what they're facing afterwards. The if there's a wounded warrior, if there's somebody ill in their home that they're now having to take care of, yeah. um, and the caregiving roles that they take on. And as you probably know, military kids are the most resilient. Mm-hmm. They really don't complain about much, and they just take on responsibilities without even asking. So, so. what was um, you know you mentioned that for the first year and a half after you guys after you were transitioning from being a military family to not being a military mm-hmm. family that you were going through some some resentment some depression um i imagine he had his own difficulties mm-hmm. in that transition how were your kids were they being outwardly were they expressing any um any similar emotions or um what did you were you even able to really notice um after with because both trying to deal with your own emotions support your husband how connected do you think you were with your your kids and and what they were experiencing yeah um i tried to keep them informed you know from the time we found out my husband who suffered a traumatic brain injury he suffers with severe post-traumatic stress among other um, injuries with shrapnel wounds hearing loss and such um, i've always tried to keep them informed you know dad's not feeling good today 
really need your help or, um, you know, just try to help guide them. I know that they have had reactions that I believe come stem from my husband and stem from everything that they're going through from the either, even if it's a breakdown or a temper tantrum or something like that. I mean, my oldest son uh, has had a very tough time in life um, in most recently, you know, in the last seventh and eighth grade years, he had to uh, be admitted to a hospital for two weeks for just some inpatient mental health services. Um, and I think it's because they don't know how to understand what's happening in their life and they don't know how to express it yeah. um, like adults do. We may be able to, you know, find somebody to talk to or vent to, but they don't know what it is that they're hurting from. Right. Um, they wouldn't know how to, the how anxiety, to put words maybe. Yeah. Right. And so they, they do struggle um, a lot. Yeah. You, you said um, you'll let them know that, hey, dad's not feeling great tonight or, you know, he needs need your help. Are those things that you're picking up on or is your husband communicating those things to you? Both. Okay. I mean, I'm fortunate to have known my husband since high school, so I can read him like a book and yeah. I know the second... You know, and you can see it on any veteran when they're not feeling well. Um, it doesn't always take a physical injury to not be completely hurting inside. Um, you know, and I feel for my husband because a lot of times I think he suffers in silence just to hide it from us. And he'll put on a mask just so that he doesn't want to burden us with his injuries. Um, and so that it, it's disheartening to me because I know him. And so I'll, I'll sometimes jump in and say, you know what, why don't you go take a break and I'll take over or, um, you know, and there are times where it's not that easy, where I do get a little angry, like this isn't the time, I really need your help and support. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it kind of goes both ways, but I can read him very yeah. well. Very, it's, I'm, um, you know, my audience knows that, uh, yeah, I've experienced my own, uh, emotional health issues and, um, there's, there's been a couple of times where, I just really won't be feeling well and a couple days will go by and I like, like I'll wake up and I'll turn to my wife and be like, yeah, I need to tell you I'm, I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. And she'd be like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's her, her, her first response. She's yes. like, I know. Tell me, tell I me know. what you need from me. But I, I know. And it's hard because it's hard not to take that personally. And yeah. that's how children feel too. And I have to try to remind them it's not personal. He doesn't, he's not sleeping all day today or can't go to your games because he doesn't want to be there. He's either got a severe migraine or he's not feeling good or depressed or whatever that symptom is for that day. Uh, it's hard for us not to take it personal. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Um, so did you, so after he got out, um, I imagine he started going to VA and, and uh, getting some, uh, some healthcare there. Um, did you immediately take the role uh, of caregiver in, in an unofficial or official way, or did someone else have an official role in that? How, tell us about those, those first couple years in how he was getting his care outside of a, a medical center. Sure. Well, when he was injured, um, he was basically an undiagnosed TBI. I remember Marine Corps headquarters calling me the day of his injury and said that your, your husband has suffered minor physical injuries, but that he would be fine and remain in theater. And I didn't think anything of it, and I don't think he did either. Um, but almost instantly, I think he started seeing the symptoms and feelings. Um, yeah. It wasn't until he came home from that deployment, I did notice a change in him. Things weren't 
right. He was very sensitive, angry, uh, quick to anger, which was not like him. I mean, he was the lighthearted one, patient in the family, loving, yeah. funny. Um, and so it was just there was something going on. Uh, he would stay in bed with migraines for days. Um, it just debilitating. And so I still didn't know what a traumatic brain injury was. We didn't know. So we went for about a year and a half during that transition time, not knowing what was going on with him. He was just being treated for those symptoms, but with no full understanding of why we were experiencing these symptoms. So it really wasn't until we got to um, Virginia, one of our last places to live, and the VA caregivers program opened my eyes to the severity of his injury and also informed me that I'm now his caregiver. Um, it was it was really them who kind of changed things around for me and, and my outlook on, on our life and what was happening. Did you... How did you receive that when you when you were told that you're now his caregiver? Um, did you in this? I imagine you were still coming off of the resentment and depression and, and the difficulty of the transition and mm-hmm. trying to help him understand what he's going through. Mm-hmm. Did it feel like a burden? Did it feel like an opportunity? Maybe a mix of it all? Probably a mix of it all. I mean, it was overwhelming because I'd never had anybody explain that to me and, and nobody explained to me really what his injuries were and how they're affecting him. I needed, it was almost like I needed somebody to just sit me down and tell me, this is what your husband's dealing with. This is why, you know, it's not you, it's not the family, it's just the injuries. It's these things that are affecting him. Um, and so, but hearing the words caregiver, I think in a sense empowered me more. Um, they gave me that opportunity to say, okay, you're not going to stay in bed all day. You have to get up. You need to get a shower. You need to eat. You're going to feel worse the longer you stay in bed. Um, and so it allowed me to separate my roles as a caregiver and as a wife um, into kind of two areas. And I could be loving when I needed to be, but I could also be that tough love. Like, okay, we need to schedule an appointment. You need to see a neurologist and, and kind of take charge. How, how Has it been difficult for him, or at least was it initially for him to separate who was talking to him in those moments between caregiver and wife? <laughs> well, I know that's something he'd probably like to answer. <laughs> I'm sure he could answer that better than I could. Sure. Um, he, you know, there are still days, at, even today, where I have tried and I'm working, we're actually working with the VA in a, in a fit therapy program, a family intervention therapy, um, working on how to communicate with each other. Yeah. Um, because sometimes I would be a little bit too tough and not, you know, in, in questioning him too much and saying, well, did you take your medication today? Maybe, you know, in, in assuming that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing um, instead of, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a balance on how you talk, you know, talk through uh, those those situations. Yeah. So. With what you've experienced with your husband um, and being his caregiver, have you been able to see that in other veterans then and either better understand what's going on or maybe even assist? Yes. Okay. Yes. With the veteran and with the caregiver. Anytime okay. I meet a veteran, I always ask, how is their... You know, who is their caregiver? How are they doing? How are you all doing? Um, it's not just a thank you for your service. It's how are you doing? Um, you know, I, I kind of, I feel for my husband. Um, 
try not to get emotional. I feel bad for him because, you know, he's 39 years old, almost living inside of a 70 year old body. It's yeah. breaking down on him. You know, the, the dementia, the hearing loss, just the physical injuries, the, you know, all the things that come with a traumatic brain injury, you know, there's no cure for it. Um, and so to see him aging at a faster rate, um, I feel for him and I, I have learned to know he doesn't want to feel this way. No yeah. veteran wants to feel this way. They want to be who they were prior to. Um, but I also know that he wouldn't change it for anything. Um, he loved his life in the Marine Corps. And so I just try to be as supportive of as, as I can. Yeah. So. You know, a lot of veterans, one of the, one of the, one of the problems veterans have when they're transitioning is they view their military service as this peak in their life and post-military is the decline. Mm -hmm. And you can almost, you can, you can almost separate it into two groups of veterans that continue an ascent after they get out and veterans mm -hmm. that accept the decline. Um, I don't know what, if your, if your husband's been able to aspire for like a new vocation or, or any new purpose in life, but how do you think he handled that, that trans or that, part of the transition and being a, trying to strive to continue to maintain a purpose while dealing with these injuries. And um, did you ever notice a time where he maybe might be accepting the, 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 the decline? I think it's a little bit of both. I think he has come to understand his limits um, and knows that he'll never be that you know, gunnery sergeant he was yeah. prior to He's the gunny, huh? and yeah. <laughs> uh, prior to you know, the PT test that you used to do sure. can't quite live up to. And I think that, um, you know, that hurts him inside, that he's this physical man, but he can't run like he used to. He can't get his blood pressure up anymore. Yeah. Um, and so even with the work, you know, he is fortunate to be able to doing this, to do the same thing he did in the Marine Corps right now. He's very fortunate. There's very few opportunities for for veterans to be able to do what they did in the Corps. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping that maybe you know, maybe companies and, and other um, private sectors will start to understand that these veterans are amazing employees. And if they could just, you know, get to do something that fulfills them daily, I think we would have a lot less suicidal rates. Yeah. Um, because I can't, I mean, I don't think any job can compare to what you did in military life, but there's got to be something out there to help save them. Um, my, my husband, as I said, he's very fortunate. He works with all of his guys he served with. Yeah. Um, so they know him. They know his injuries. They know that there's days where he maybe can't make it into work and they have that flexibility. And that flexibility is really key for our military members yeah. in the future with with any work they do. That, that difficulty that veterans have in, um, you know, in, in finding something that fulfills them in the same way or that, that somehow rewards them, um, is that the, the military like pumps you full of purpose within like your mm -hmm. first 18 months that you're in. Um, and it's almost issued to you, right? It's mm -hmm. almost, it's almost a part of your gear issue. Like here's your rifle, here's your uniform and here's your purpose. Right. And then, you know, we transition out and, one, nothing's going to have that surge of purpose anymore, right? It takes purpose takes a long time to develop um, in most places in life, right? It takes a long time to get yourself in a position where you you are serving um, yourself and other people, and you're 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 fulfilling you're you're being fulfilled in a way. And so, going from you know 
yellow footprints to mm-hmm. here's your rifle, here's your purpose to, okay, now you need to find a vocation and, and it'll take years for you to like really find, yeah. yeah, exactly, to establish this purpose. And not only that, you have to find it, right? Mm-hmm. It's no longer just being issued to you like it was in the military. Right. You have to discover this. That's one of the biggest um, hurdles that I see a lot of veterans having to deal with. I'm glad that your husband was able to find something inside of a, an industry or a craft that he enjoys. Yeah, he w- he is fortunate to be able to do, um, you know, the canine work he did outside of the Marine Corps now. But I, I still see, like you had mentioned, the, the decline of the struggles with uh, his vocation and, you know, just him trying to manage. I think it's a lot of it's the management side of just trying to manage, you know, people. He's really good at working with dogs. Yeah. <laughs> But when it comes to working with trying to manage schedules and, and conference calls and things like that, I see a struggle. And, um, you know, and I know it frustrates him because he used to be so good at it. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the injury kind of comes in. Yeah. So. Does, he, does he have a service dog? No, we actually had our retired military working dog who did serve with him. Okay. Uh, she just passed away Aww. recently. Um, so she actually did three tours. She did two to Iraq and one to Afghanistan. Um, she suffered severe PTS as well. Uh, the canines go through the same injuries our military yeah. members do. And there's no reason why they can't get a concussion yeah. uh, with the things that they are around. So she she was with us for about six years after her service years. And um, we loved her immensely. Yeah. We do a we do a daily post here at VA on, on our social media and our blog called Veteran of the Day. Mm-hmm. And I've been really tempted. I am this close to making a absolutely a canine veteran of the day. You absolutely should. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, there's. Uh, I've been worried about how the how some of the audience will respond to it. I'm sure there's gonna be plenty of people that are gonna you know you know think that it's. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm maybe I'm overthinking it. You know, but. The, the majority the majority of the military appreciate what they did because when the the day she passed away uh, again I'm trying not to get emotional because. She was everything. But, um, you know, my husband sat with her and said, you saved a lot of lives. You can rest now. Um, And so, you know, I think that a lot of military recognize that and it's more appreciated now than it ever was in previous wars um, because they're the they're the main source of detection uh, for our military members. So I think, you know, recognizing them, you know, we can take her to a military base and she'll get a full honors uh, burial. And so they don't treat their Marines any differently, whether it's sure. four legs or two legs. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're all Marines. So um, <clears throat> let, let's tra- uh, let's segue then into your work with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation mm-hmm. and what's going on there. Um, how did you, um, how long have you been with the foundation now? Uh, actually, just almost a year. Okay. So, uh, well, working with them, sure. uh, employed with them. I started out as a fellow for right. Maryland uh, as a caregiver to my husband. So I started there in 2015 and 2016 was kind of my two-year fellowship with them. Okay. And, and what, then, what did that entail? Uh, you know, we've got a lot of sense of self-identifying. Who am I? What is my story? And then, you know, the senator really focuses on, and when people ask questions to a veteran, they ask how you're doing. They ask, you know, what are you, what have you been through? And and the story tends to, to, you know, um, sorry, I lost my turn of thought. It's okay. Um, The story kind of tends to revolve around the veteran, not 
as much the caregiver or the person standing next to them. Yeah. And Senator Dole started to recognize this. Um, she recognized it after Senator Bob Dole was injured, or sorry, not injured, after he fell ill and found himself at Walter Reed Hospital for 11 months. And during that time, she got to connect with all of these family members and loved ones who are sitting by the bedside, and she's thinking to herself, wait a minute, people are surviving on the battlefield injuries that would not have sustained in wars past. Um, and who's gonna take care of them? This person by their side. So she started to realize we've got you know 25 year olds who are now becoming full-time caregivers, quitting their jobs, quitting their schooling just to be able to take care of them. How are they gonna survive? Where are they gonna get income? And yeah. so, um, you know, and, and I, I started to realize this, you know, throughout my years coming up and, and trying to reach out to military resources for help um, and being told I was a caregiver. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, this is very true. I wanted to help other caregivers know to self-identify. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that my husband and I have a foundation from high school, but a lot of these spouses and, and family members don't have that same strong foundation. And divorce rate, as you know, is very high. Suicide rate's very high. And yeah. a lot of that comes from the lack of support. Um, and so the foundation really, it, it empowered me to be able to advocate, bring awareness to, be able to talk with my senators and congressmen leaders to let them know what are what am I going through? What do we need as caregivers within our state? So in so in general, then what what are the answers to those questions? What are, what are ways you know the the sign on the uh, the sign on our building says to, to care for those who have borne the battle and their widow and their orphan, mm -hmm. um, but the extension of that is the caregiver, right? The, mm -hmm. And whether it's a family member, well, whether it's a a professional caregiver who lives in or, or visits, um, you know, those are people that are that are deserving of being uh, taken care of because you do take on a lot of that emotional burden. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> we hear a lot of stories of mill spouses um, transitioning almost in the way that you're talking about you 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 were uh, a military spouse that was a lot of that was much of your identity at, uh, and that that's how you lived um, you hear a lot of mill spouses that transition and they they go into caregiving status or or they have to go into a situation where they might be the new breadwinner um, right. but they don't have a resume built that's strong enough because they've been moving around and they, you know, they take jobs that they can find and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So, um, with all of that, uh, in mind and in that context, what are some of the ways that, that the foundation or, you know, any, anybody, any partners you're working with has identified, here are some of the key things we need to make sure we're delivering to caregivers that way, uh, not only have they taken care of, but they can better take care of the people they're serving. Well, I mean, the, you know, the saying, happy wife, happy life, and yeah. it kind of goes the same with veterans. And in our house, it's kind of reverse. It's the happy veteran, the happy life, and yeah. the happy family. Whatever rhymes um, with veteran that, that applies there, yeah, right? Whatever yeah. rhymes, whatever fits that veteran <laughs> yeah. is, is goes with it. Um, because that's really key, and that's why the Fellows Program was established, to help, um, you know, not only those caregivers who do know, like myself, that I was a fellow and I was a caregiver, now I need to go out and help these caregivers um, self-identify, you know, what are those resources and programs that you are lacking? Um, you know, senators working very closely with, uh, with faith leaders, um, and, you know, DOD and the VA and whoever, you know, can help change what's happening to our caregivers. Um, the fact that they're not getting the help that they need.
As you're working in this, what are what are things that you realize that are being identified or ways that the foundation is um, is advocating on behalf of caregivers that you realize like, oh, man, if I had that sort of support when I was starting off, that would have been that would have been huge. Um, this this is always hard to answer because it's hard for me to speak on behalf of you know the 5.5 million caregivers and what sure. they need. Um, I think in general, when it comes down to it, you know the the financial help is is a key piece to it. Um, so many parents come out of retirement, have to you know dip into their 401ks and their their savings in order to take care of now their child who's moved back home with them and changed their whole life. The spouse who you know can't work. So financial is a big piece of that. Um, respite. I don't actually really rate respite as, as far as I've been told because my husband doesn't suffer with ADLs, um, activities of daily living. He doesn't okay. need me to help actually physically dress him. He can get dressed, but I have to kind of guide him as to maybe what to wear. Yeah. <laughs> Which, All right, maybe um, it's time to put on pants. <laughs> Let's put on pants. You know, Let's make I that the to, goal for the next half hour. Let's get right. some pants on. And so yeah. the, I, the instrumental activities of daily living are very impactful on a, on a veteran and their family. You know, appointment scheduling, medicine reminding, eat, just remind, remembering to eat. Um, my husband, there's days where he'll go without eating. Um, and so, you know, respite is another big issue for caregivers. Uh, a lot of us don't rate it, but we, we do need it, um, you know, because just trying to be the brain for another person and then throwing that at any children or anybody else in your life, that's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot to maintain. And we're seeing that with the RAND study that Elizabeth, that Senator Elizabeth Dole sure. established, helped establish, is all of those struggles that our caregivers are facing. What, how has how has your work um, with the foundation, your work uh, with other caregivers, how has that helped you be a caregiver? Um, again, it's given me that sense of, of independence um, that I am still who I am. I'm not just a wife and caregiver, and a, I'm not just a, a wife and a caregiver or a mother. I am, you know, I'm I'm Elizabeth Rotenberry. I'm I now am able to work and try to maintain my own sense of life. Um, and it, it's given me that strength. And I'm very fortunate once again, like my husband, to have the opportunity to work in a field that not only am I passionate about, but they understand my role. The foundation understands my life um, and they appreciate it. And so, um, you know, they give me that flexibility to be able to work from home when I need to, come in when I need to, um, you know, just, it's, it's really empowered me in such a great way that I feel like I'm accomplishing things once again. Yeah. Um, you know, you did, I did go through that void in, in for a couple of years, not knowing who am I, what am I now? Yeah. Um, and I, I really missed it. So this is a great opportunity and I'm, I'm very thankful. So as you know, so as the audience learned uh, before uh, before the interview, the Elizabeth Dole Foundation is focused on caregivers, and it's about advocating for them and, and serving for them. Mm-hmm. What are some of the big initiatives, some of the big efforts that that are at the focus right now, um, currently, and right going on in twenty eighteen? 
Yeah, well, the, this I can't I can't even begin to explain to you since my since my joining the foundation as a fellow back in 2015, how much this has grown. Yeah, um, just the word caregiver alone is now associated with so many people, not just hospice and senior care living. Um, it's it's asked in more appointments. Who you know to the veteran? Do you have somebody at home? Who is your caregiver? Um, so just to see this foundation grow from just establishing that important word to also all of the programs that we're doing. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be the fellows program coordinator. And, and in that program, which is probably one of the key pieces because it's our hidden heroes program. Hmm. Um, and so in this program, we select different caregivers from around the nation. We have one to two that represent each state every year. Actually, our application process is open now for the 2019 class. Um, and those caregivers, we help give the training, the knowledge of who they are, how to tell your story. How do you tell your story? Don't talk about what your veteran's been through. Talk about what you've been through. Yeah. Um, as I was saying earlier, um, and maybe didn't get all the way through, is that Senator Rolls really made it um, about the hidden hero. Who is that person? Um, and so we give them the knowledge and the training to be able to help other caregivers self-identify, advocate, go on the hill, be able to share their story and get the resources that they need established within their own local communities and cities. Um, we have the Hidden Heroes Cities program, which we're really proud to have about 120 cities on board where we work with the local mayors to establish those programs and establish those resources for caregivers. Um, most importantly, with that Hidden Hero Cities program, we've just announced a partnership with Comcast, NBC Universal, and Psych Armor Institute to expand the services of Comcast Internet Essentials. Um, and basically we'll be offering, the Comcast is gonna be offering now uh, through Internet Essentials, who has been established already for seven years to lower income families, um, internet and TV and things like that, communication with the world, we're now going to be offering it to close to 1 million veterans who we've recognized do not have access to even a computer, wow. internet, ca uh, cable, anything. They don't have access to the world. And as you know, um, you know, you've got My Healthy Vet online. That's your access to your benefits, your yeah. records, everything. That's how you communicate. You know, the VA has even started to establish um, telehealth. And so it's through Comcast that they're now going to be able to reach out to all of these families who have been uh, long without communication. Yeah. Um, so this, this is very, very exciting. Um, and one of the other just announced with Secretary Wilkie, which you may have recall hearing is the Center of Excellence. Yes. The Elizabeth Dole Center of Excellence. This is unbelievable and this is wonderful because, you know, a senator recognized this in the RAND study. When they did their study, they found that there needs to be a center of excellence for caregivers. There needs to be a, a research community you know, continuing on with these studies to find out what is going on with our caregivers. What are their needs? This is going to be a long-lasting, this is a lifetime effort because caregivers aren't just the immediate caregiver. It's now my four children who are going to be growing up, dealing with the, the depression, the anxiety, you know, the things that they've dealt with. So now you have even more caregivers who are, are establishing themselves as that title. Um, and so the Center of Excellence, which very honored and we were, I know the Senator was very surprised to hear that it was named after her. Um, but I could not personally, I could not think of a better person. She has ultimately led the way 
for caregivers. She has been the the just the leader in in not only DC in general for all of her life as as an advocate, but in this role, you know, she's just the first one to really recognize what we are dealing with. Yeah. So we're very, very, very excited about Center of Excellence. Um, and, and it is a newer program with the VA, but we're really looking forward to working with them more. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, Liz, is there is there anything uh, about the experience of being a caregiver or the work that you're doing at the Elizabeth Dole Foundation that we haven't touched on yet that you wanted to make sure got mentioned today? Uh, I think the, the key piece I want to make known is, is there's still so many out there who don't know that they're caregiving. Um, for the longest time, I thought I was just doing my duty as a wife, sure. you know, in sickness and health. Um, and it's just what you do. Even as a parent, it's just what you do, or a friend or a sibling. But you are a caregiver. And they need to know that. And they need to know that there are specific resources and programs out there for them, benefits for them. Um, you know, the VA Caregivers Program is out there. And they're really trying to work hard to bring those resources and benefits to, to caregivers. But, you know, if, if you're not sure you are a caregiver, you can absolutely find out more information about us with ElizabethDoleFoundation.org, uh, HiddenHeroes.org, our websites. You know, you can email us and, and say, you know, I'm, I've got this question, you know, can you help me with this? Or we've got this struggle, can you help me with this? Um, so if you don't know if you're a caregiver, if, if you're doing any one of the above of like just being there for somebody, establishing appointments, you know, helping with medications, driving them to their appointments or even if you're doing physical care for them, um, you are their caregiver. You're not yeah. just their spouse or parent. Yeah. Liz, I, I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us today. I appreciate you tolerating some of the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, yeah. the technical difficulties I was having earlier. But um, something I want to make sure that, that you understand and, and that anybody else that's, uh, that's in the similar situation, uh, you know, we, we thank veterans for their service. But, um, you know, there's a lot of ways to contribute to your country's success. And one of the ways is taking care of veterans or being a military spouse and, and, and uh, being the foundation at home. So I want to thank you for, for your service. To, your, to our nation in that capacity. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you having me on here. I know that you had mentioned I'm probably the third only you know non-actual veteran yeah. to be on here. Um, I do like to consider myself part of the military. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but no, I, I do appreciate it. And thank you for the time. And you know, if anybody has any questions, please feel free to email us at uh, elizabethdolefoundation.org. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. Big thanks to Liz for joining me. If you're curious about what they do over at the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, you want to learn more about their efforts, elizabethdolefoundation.org is where you can learn more about them. If you enjoyed today's episode, please let me know. I would like feedback on uh, on on these episodes, especially ones that I think that really stand out um, with truly valuable insight. I think Liz really brought that 
newmedia at va.gov, newmedia at va.gov. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you thought of, of that interview. Uh, if you, if there'd be any follow up questions that you would have, if you're like, hey, I would, lo- I want to know a little bit more about how they touched on this. Maybe we can do a follow up interview uh, and get those answered for you. Today's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Horatio Birdsall, Service U.S. Army, Rank of Sergeant, Division Company B, Third Iowa Cavalry. That's right. We're going back to the Civil War conflict. Year of Honor, eighteen sixty five. Back when the Medal of Honor was the medal uh, that they awarded people for, uh, for, for actions in combat. So, uh, citation reads, five simple words, capture of flag and bearer. We honor his service. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I truly do appreciate every listen that we get here on Born the Battle. Please do leave us a rating and review in your podcatcher of choice, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Google Play, pod podcatcher whatever podcast pod i don't remember which one i use but <laughs> i don't even remember which one i use but uh it's a good one i'll tell you that pocket casts there we go pocket cast is what i use uh but anyhow i would really appreciate a rating and review in your podcatcher of choice you can follow us on social media at dept vet affairs on instagram and twitter facebook.com slash veterans affairs if you are a facebooker Again, any any feedback you have on today's show, love to hear from you. Newmedia at va.gov. Thanks for listening. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off. <laughs>